This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Did you know what you were doing when you traveled them to all 50 states or was just kind of something fun to do? Like, did you know how that would shape them as adults? Like, was that intentional or was it just kind of accidental what you figured out? No, it was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. It was intentional. You know, the big thing for us was we always tried to go do outdoor stuff. I mean, we, we would visit cities and things, but mainly it was about whatever the natural elements were in all the different places. So um, it was very specific to, to kind of broaden their horizons. That, that was a big thing, is the more places you go, the more possibilities you see. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad, episode 60. Today in the podcast, we are going to dive into a new different area that we've never talked about, the kids of America's Fallen. Today's guest, Joe Lewis, he is the organizer and founder of Angels of America's Fallen. It's an organization that focuses on providing one of the simplest things that may be overlooked that can completely change a child's life, especially one where they've lost either a father or a mother. And essentially what they do is they provide soccer lessons, they provide swim lessons, and the stories that you hear today on this podcast and the impact that Joe is having on this world is nothing less than game-changing because all it takes is for one military child to receive one of these resources and continue to believe that someone out there has their back, that they have a path where they can grow up to be a strong adult. Because military kids already, even when they have both parents, they already are wired and built to go out into the world and do amazing things. But when you lose one of your parents, that leaves a scar on your heart. And oftentimes, military kids don't recover from that. Joe focuses on making sure that they have just some one little thing, one little thing to focus on to keep them going, to make sure they have the right mentor in their life, if it's a coach. But man, Joe, I met him back at Military Infantry Conference in last September, and he is just an amazing guy. And now that I've got to learn his story of being a dad, it just goes beyond because what he does is he's essentially been taking all the lessons that took me a year to figure out that makes a great military dad, and he did them already because his kids are already out of the house and on to doing bigger and better things with their life. And what we talk about today is how travel can really open up a child's life, how adding depth to their world can really give them an idea of how they can fit into this world. And at the end, we talk about a statistic of what it takes to make this organization run. And essentially right now, there are 500 kids without a parent that are missing a parent that are on his waiting list. And Joe has committed to take them from the moment they are accepted to the year of 18 to fund them with 
a scholarship every year to do a an activity. So this takes a lot of money. It takes almost $15,000 per child to be able to say yes. And right now, those 500 kids, to take those 500 kids and grant them the wish of a swim lesson, a soccer practice, whatever that child may need in their life, that requires almost $8 million. That $8 million would change 500 kids' lives. And just think of the impact that that money will have on a child's life when they go out into the world and start changing it. And I am humbled that he came into my life, but then also more excited that I can't wait to the day that I can write a check that is a complete difference that completely funds one of these kids' lives. Because if I could write an $8 million check right now, I would, because that's how good of a man Joe is. And that's how much this organization really hit me on the context of being a military dad, but then also in the context of what happens when dads don't come home, or maybe they came home and they didn't get the services that they need, and maybe they took their own life. It doesn't matter. These kids need help. And we, it can be as simple as $10, anything that will help this mission and this mission grow. And in the show notes, there is a donate link. So if you want to, if you like his message, if you like the organization, go ahead, click the donate button and donate some money because that money will go to a child that can literally just need swim lessons or soccer practice or some positive influence in their life. And your little donation can make that big difference for him. So without further ado, let's get started with Joe Lewis. Welcome to the show tonight, Joe. Thank you. Glad to be here. I am super excited for this. And we first met each other at Military Influencer Conference, Washington, D.C., last September. And I feel like we talked for an hour and a half there as we were both sharing stories and you were uh, tearing up my heart. Go ahead and unpack for the audience a little bit about your story as being a military dad before we go into the stuff that was getting me tore up. Okay. Actually, it starts with my dad being a Marine, a Vietnam era Marine, and he had PTSD from that. We didn't you know, call it that, but um, childhood growing up with that. And then I joined the Army National Guard right out of high school and turned 18 at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Did that through college, then the Marine Corps for 11 years until, uh, until I broke my back and then got out of the Marine Corps and went to the airlines and did that until 9-11 occurred and then uh, went back active duty and active uh, with the Air National Guard doing counter-narcotics reconnaissance and counter-narcoterrorism and had my sons uh, right before I got out of the Marine Corps. So I had, you know, obviously amount of time away, I really wanted to be there and, and see my sons and had plenty of friends that, uh, you know, missed the childbirth on deployments and things like that. And so I kind of waited a little bit later to have, uh, and ended up with two boys and, um, my wife and I, you know, moving all over the place and, and, uh, dragging the kids with us actually worked out extremely well. Um, you know, just because we, we covered a lot of ground with them and you know, my boys are 20 and 19 and they've been in all 50 States. And, um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of the story, I guess. Did you know what you were doing when you traveled them to all 50 States or was just kind of something fun to do? Like, did you know, how that would shape them as adults? Like, was that intentional or was it just kind of accidental what you figured out? No, it was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. It was intentional. You know, the big thing for us was we always tried to go do outdoor stuff. I mean, we would visit cities and things, but mainly it was about whatever the natural elements were in all the different places. So um, it was very specific to kind of broaden their horizons. That, mm -hmm. that was a big thing is the more places you go, the more possibilities you see. And I wanted them to have that. 
And I think this is something you hit. I'm glad you hit it right there because this is one of the biggest assets military dads bring to the table that being only one less than 1% of the population that's in the military, we have a perspective and a depth to the world that very few people have. And being able to gift that gift of depth of the world of knowing different ways of living to your kids. I mean, the amount of just strength and confidence you, they get because they've seen so much of the world that they don't have a lot of questions of who they are because they've got to see so many different ways they can choose to live. Absolutely. Did you see that with your kids when they were figuring out what they wanted to do when they grow up? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a weird thing because, you know, on one side, there's a piece of the identity that's a little bit missing because where are you from? And they're from all over. But at the same time, that makes them a more strong individual and they've got friends from all over. So they're not defined by one geographic location that maybe they started from or were at, you know, a particular long time. And I think that's opened up things for them because even just in their, their mindset about traveling and going out on their own, where they don't think a 13 hour drive is long, you know, for a lot of people, a two hour drive is long. And yeah. so that, that kind of thing has led to a lot of independence for them. So in fact, when my, he's 20 now, but when he was 17, he was trying to get some of his high school buddies to go camping with him about, uh, about eight hours away. And the other kids' parents were freaking out about it. And we had to have a parent meeting to talk about it. And Michael, uh, he had to lay out the, the loading plan and, and basically sell the whole trip to him, which was a confidence builder thing, but yeah. it was also a leadership role. And, um, and it gave him a sense of adventure and he filmed and documented while he was doing these trips, which has turned into his passion and what he's pursuing right now. He's uh, going to full sale university for digital film and it's his thing. Yeah. So it's I mean, I can only imagine like when you, like your son became a voice in an empty room of people that really didn't know how to add fire and spice to their life. And now he kind of walks in and storms the doors open and be like, dude, we can go out there and conquer the world and camp and sleep under the stars. And, and I, I could easily pick up what um, your son seems not necessarily like in a bad way, but like there isn't a lot of like fear holding back from saying yes to something or doing something courageous because his whole life has been written in the page of doing courageous and a little, not crazy because he wouldn't have known it was crazy or out of the box <laughs> at the time. But yeah. now it's just part of his default programming to keep taking action on things. It is. It is. And that's really neat to see. In and fact, it, some of the other parents, um, you know, one of the things they were, they were really concerned about, well, you know, how much food are you taking and what about jackets and all this stuff? I said, you know, if they, if they're cold and hungry for three days, that's a great learning experience, you know, so they'll live through it. It's, it's not that big a deal. And, mm -hmm. uh, it was pretty cool. And it's, it's a testament of what regular parents are missing out on as well, because you, you have to let your kids live and, I what essentially I often say what you you did was you have to get your kids outside of their life so they can see how they fit into life, and you can't do that in twelve years of school, and that's what most parents do, and then they wonder why they rubber band back to their basement because they don't have an identity and there's only one version of life they've understood and it's one that's extremely confusing they don't feel they belong to. Yeah, yeah, that's I like that saying. That's pretty neat. So I commend you uh, for figuring that out and getting your kids out there. Did you do any international traveling? Yeah, yeah, we have. We've uh, been to Mexico. We went to Belize. Um, oh, Canada. Belize! I bet that would have been an amazing experience. Oh, for your kids. that was fantastic. That was just amazing, and it was a local thing. You know, it was again the perspective part of it. One, it's cheaper to not go to the fancy places, 
So mm-hmm. um, we were, it, it was a more rustic thing and it was more with the locals, with the local food. And you're seeing where the people live, not just, you know, the expensive hotel row. And, uh, and they made Or see even what real poverty looks like. I mean, that's something oh, that I think most kids uh, need to know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and so they'd see and made, fr- made friends with some of these guys that, uh, you know, they didn't have a football and my kids took a football down there with them and gave it to them. And then they, they did, they do have internet and all that other kind of good stuff. So they actually had got friends. They still stay in touch with from Belize. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of a neat thing. And when you think about like, I've always thought like explained in India, like to, to walk up to someone that absolutely has nothing around them and see a smile on their face. That's a lesson that every American needs to learn five times and twice on Sunday because yeah. it's not the iPhone, it's not the Apple Watch, it's not your Instagram followers that generate your happiness. You really need to figure out where it comes from and it comes from the inside and that's what you get to see when you go to those places because those kids without the football, they were just as happy with it. Now they're in ecstasy because you gave them a football, but they had nothing before and they had a smile on their face. Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. That did stick out to them and my, my oldest in particular talked about that and he also went and did a mission trip to Peru and he loved it because everybody was happy without having all the things and they were more friendly. And it's just funny. Sometimes the more you have, uh, you know, the more you sweat the small stuff and that's what we do tend to do here. A lot of people do. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's, it's, it's really neat. And that's partially comes from the going, uh, most Americans I think live in a fear world because of, if you tune into the news and the newspapers or really anywhere, you can be quickly surrounded with a world that seems scary as hell. But when you start traveling the world, especially the military, you realize it's all really just smoke and mirrors that people try to sell you on. And the world is actually really safe, even like crazy places that people would be scared to travel like Israel. Israel is a fairly safe place to travel to. But if you look at the news, it says the opposite. And Americans just have this fear of letting go and like going into the world that then they pass on to their kids. And then it's just like kind of passing on your anxiety trap. And I just really commend you for... because. I I can't wait to hear someday when we run into each other of what kind of things your your sons have done and how they've changed the world and how the the dent of Lewis on the wall of the universe is getting deeper mm-hmm. as they go out there and uh, change the world from their own perspective. Yeah, that's a great thought. Yeah, you know, I always like to describe it as the universe of the wall, and then like your last name is the dent, and someone walks by and be like, "That was the Lewis's." That's pretty cool. I like that. You know, what I didn't mention about in our story is when I retired from the military, we got in an RV and drove around for a year. I had not spent the amount of time I wanted to spend with my kids. And, um, and even prior to that, while I, while I was in, I had Lyme disease and it had gotten very advanced. Uh, it was about three and a half years and 18 different doctors missed the diagnosis. So it was becoming really, really debilitating. And um, yeah, we spent a, a year. It was a lifetime of vacations that I spent with my, my two boys and dog and, and my wife in a 30 foot RV driving around the country. And throughout that whole time, we never had a negative experience with anybody in an RV park or a Walmart parking lot sometimes where we would stop. And, um, and that was a great perspective thing too. And, and it reduced the amount of things we had, you know, we, mm. we had bikes and stuff like that, that we drug along with us, but we certainly didn't have the majority of the things that fill, you know, a normal house and it was just fine. Mm-hmm. And the kids survived. Oh, yeah. Despite yeah. anybody else's prediction. And that's one of the things that's kind of interesting is uh, this past year, I've really, last two years, I would say, I've really become addicted to talking to strangers versus like being afraid of people. And there is a fear, but once you start leaning into it, it's like the world is really generous and people are really generally great human beings. We just kind of forget how to interact with each other, or even that we could interact with each other. 
And we get so caught up in patterns that we actually don't realize that we can actually pause and just enjoy a two minute conversation with someone randomly. And maybe that makes someone's day. Like you never know what it takes to put someone's pants on that day. And all that is just kind of missed out on. I'd like to actually go back and rewind because there's a part that I think we're missing here. What did you think your dad gave you from his uh, parenting that kind of helped you see that this is the way that you wanted to raise your kids? Because I can't imagine you just woke up one day and realized that this was the way we're going to lead into the world. No, actually, yeah, you, you know, some of those same benefits that you talked about for kids of, of uh, you know, military, military kids, you know, I got right off the bat as well. So I'd lived in multiple locations and, you know, my dad had, uh, he was a big guy and he had some tough issues uh, again with the PTSD. So it was tough living with him, but at the same time, he was, he was also very loving. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I, I looked at the way he raised me and also he was more worldly. We had, at this point when he had gotten out, um, we had gone back to a small town and the exposure that I had and that he continued to give me from his experiences from traveling all around. I think really broadened my horizons. As so he well. was a good so storyteller. He was, yeah, he was, and also he would bring into just our conversation different different words. You know, part of his vocabulary was was built from his experiences being you know living in Japan for a while and time in Vietnam and different language and and different things. And um, and he was he he was intentional about spending time with me. And 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 as much as I sometimes didn't like it, dragging me into helping him with projects as well which really built my skill set and my independence as well. So um, those were some of the things that I knew that I wanted to pass along to my sons. You just hit on, you were like the perfect military dad. I'm just going to claim it out there right now because you, you hit <laughs> on and, your, and your, your dad knew what he was doing that a lot of the current people suffering with PTSD are missing out on that. I describe it as like everything that happens in your life is like a thousand piece snap on toolbox. And there's so many specialty wrenches that you actually don't know what they're for. It's like that nut on a car you can't find until you're working on it. You're like, damn, that's what that wrench was for. Your dad figured out how to use all those things, bad and good, to help shape you and to give you you the resources to grow with your life. And he used his own life as a, as a vehicle and his own experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly, to help do it. And that's what so many of military dads today leave on the table is we have this perspective to give to our kids of, of all the things that we did and to help them just understand their world through from our world. Like when you're less than 1% of the population and you have an opinion that is generally greater and that a message that everyone needs to hear, you can create some amazing adults and you're already doing it. So like you're just continuing on the lineage of creating better and better adults as we have more kids. You know what? He didn't mention it in these terms, but I think this was in his mind. You know, there's a, a, a saying, don't waste the pain. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because part of what he taught me was that life isn't, fair, you know, and I think maybe compared to what a lot of kids are getting today, thinking that life is supposed to be fair. Yeah. And, that there's a world where this pain is removed, like that you don't yeah. ever get bruised. Right. And so then when they bump into something, they think that it's only happening to them and it sends them, you know, down a track that's not healthy versus realizing that, you know, yeah, life is tough. It's tough for other places. We're really fortunate to, to be here in the United States and to have what we have. When they get bit so, by a mosquito on an eight-hour trip away from home, and it's the first time they've ever been bit <laughs> by a mosquito without mom there to put some ointment on it. <laughs> yes, that's exactly. Yeah, it's, you know, a little suck it up kind of a thing is is an important lesson for everybody to learn, right? Yeah, and or oh, I forgot bug spray. Mom's always got the bug spray. Oh, I probably need to be an adult and remember it on my own. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. What do you think helped your dad figure that out? Because it wasn't necessarily popular programming back then, or even like very few veterans even tell the stories of their service. Like it's usually something that's locked away and then never brought back up. You know, I think it was that being with us was his coping uh, strategy. You know, it wasn't. Ah, beautiful. He, he, Just beautiful. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, he, he spent his time with us as opposed to pursuing other things. And he, he wanted, and it's that I definitely have from him. I, I would rather spend time with my family and, and, and be here than out with buddies, you know, doing whatever. And so, um, call it, you know, the quality time certainly didn't call it quality time back then, but that's what we got. Yeah. I just condone more that you guys are the perfect military family <laughs> uh, of all the things that I've realized that military dads are doing. You guys are executing on all cylinders because what you just brought up there is the biggest thing that I've learned in 55 episodes is that military members never switch from the legacy of their service to legacy of their family. And your dad did it beautifully. He quickly realized that the one thing that's going to live past my life is my kids. Mm -hmm. And the love that I can receive from them and give them is pure. And I can do something with everything that I've got. And uh, I just updated my logo for, for the 2020. And I added at the bottom, our, our family is our legacy. Because that mm -hmm. is the biggest tool that any military dad can use to reshift their entire purpose and to, to find a, a new reason to live and to not figure out that their family's better without them. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important part. That, that is so much a piece, a piece of the suicide issue is some guys are, they think they're doing their family a favor by removing themselves and, and absolutely the farthest thing from the truth. Mm -hmm. Everybody's still got good in them that, that, you know, can be shared. And the other part that people like, it, it's, it's, it's kind of from, comes from the civilian side as well, because they're, there's a stigma of fear. Like some people will fear veterans because of they're not sure if they're stable or not. There's the label of, Oh, these guys are broken. We really don't know what to do with them. But, and that just makes it worse. Like the worst thing you can do to a veteran is give them a label because then that just makes them feel defeated and makes them almost feel like a piece of garbage that they're, they didn't actually earn anything and that they just kind of stripped their service away from them. But all of that pain. Like I always like the analogy when you break a bone, the bone heals two times stronger than it did yeah. before the break. And even a scab on a scar, a scar tissue on your arm is, is even a stronger piece of skin than it was before. So like all of that just really makes you stronger. And when you come through the pain on the other side with love for others outside of that, for your family, like, man, you can just do so much. So I commend you. You are, you win my military dad of the year. I, uh, I haven't said that, but man, you guys are rocking it. Well, it's early January, so <laughs> it's early of the new year. We'll declare, but, um, we'll, we're, we were supposed to record this in November, so we'll declare for no 2019. <laughs> okay. But, you know, I mean, I, absolutely everything you were saying is correct, that, but that's not to say that it's easy, you know, to heal from your broken bone and whatever and, and that kind of stuff. And you have to take care of it and you have to, you know, be smart about it. But, but absolutely, yeah, you, you can come out stronger. Um, Let's test you on one other area that you know. supports being military dad and coming through this. How has been your network of friends on the other side of transition? Um, actually, it's it's been pretty good. So, uh, you know, they're, they're distant. I moved to a place where I had never been stationed and had no family or friends. We just stopped at a place that we, we found along the, the RV trip and thought was a good place. So it's more distant connections, but I, it's also a big military town. So I have a lot of new connections as well. Mm -hmm. So. So, um, and at some point your dad yeah, probably gifted the ability to talk to people because that's something that veterans suck at 
and most people <laughs> suck at in general, but your ability to, to do what you do now and to talk to people, like that's the other key pillar that, of, of being a military dad. You can't do it alone. You can't lift everything that life gives you. And some of the stuff is really hurtful, but that's why you need a tribe. Like for 100,000 years on this earth, men did life in tribes. And that's why we love the military because it is a tribe. And then it's taken away like a light switch. And we don't have the skills or even the awareness that that's what we really need to recreate again. Yeah, you know, and I think one of those things I mentioned a little bit that my dad and his vocabulary and how he brought in parts of where he had been into our conversations. He he actually he talked to me and my two sisters more like we were adults. Um, or he would include us in discussions and things instead of you know, oh, you're a kid, you know, this isn't this isn't your thing right oh, now or whatever. Awesome. So I think that helped a lot with the communication piece for me. Mm-hmm. And I've always said that your job isn't to raise good kids; your job is to raise good adults. And yeah, that's a perfect. Your everything we do in life is to prepare them to leave the house on their own because it should be a certainty and it should be successful. Um, I've heard it kind of jokingly said that you spend the first two years doing everything for them, and you spend the next sixteen years unwiring it. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, <laughs> except for unfortunately, a lot of people spend a lot longer than doing that. everything for them. Yeah, a, a yeah. lot longer than that. Because when yeah. you see like what um, you ever watch like MasterChef Junior and stuff like that and see what those kids can do and cook and do like amazing like Gordon I have seen Ramsay's that of that. Yeah. Like, if you really cr- create a kid that taps into everything they who are who they are and who they're becoming, I mean, what a kid can do at a lot younger age than we give them credit for is absolutely amazing. Like my daughter is seven and she's going on sixteen. Like she puts together things together and she does math in her head better than I can and she's seven. So like, I think, so it's like, it's something happened within the last 20 years that we just kind of were afraid to let our kids kind of grow up. Maybe it's like the sadness of it, but at the same time, or the reality of it, I'm not exactly sure where it all went wrong, but there's something about just like letting your kids be adults. I've even heard like start making your kids sign contracts when they start becoming a teenager for different things. Like, if they want to do something or if they want a cell phone, make them sign a contract like you had to do when you got your phone from the AT&T. Like they should have to sign a contract and get used to signing a contract and agreeing to certain things. Like these are things that we can teach them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. So they don't just run into it when they try to get a new cell phone. Like I don't never had to sign a contract when my parents <laughs> gave it to me. Yeah. And they can be crying back and wanting you to get on your, can I get on your plane? Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward a little bit. What's in between the gap of when you, uh, your kids started to leave and you probably got a little bit bored, you and your wife, and to where you are now, where you have the nonprofit Angels of America's Fallen? How did wow. that all get started? So that was based on my experience in the military, losing friends in every branch. And it was always a great guy with little bitty kids. Uh, two of my buddies in the Marine Corps had kids on the way that they never got to meet. And so what I saw was that when we would support the families before they moved, typically moved away, was that things generally would go towards, um, you know, helping the widow, which is absolutely necessary. And, you know, they're in this fog of loss. But if there was any attention paid to the kids, typically it was thoughts of scholarship. And that's, that's awesome. However, when I look at these little bitty kids, it's like, well, that's, you know, 15, 16, it's like know, giving a trust eight, fund 18 years trust away. Yeah. So, and I had a, had a really good friend next door neighbor going through flight school. And he had, uh, I mentioned that I didn't have kids until later. And so I would always play with his little boy who was about 18 months or so around that time frame. And when he was, the father was killed in a crash 
the mom kind of dealt with that in part by just blocking that part of her past. And so lost touch with her. And I kept wondering, well, you know, how, how's Nicholas doing? Who's encouraging him? Who's throwing the ball for him? You know, Greg was such a good guy. Um, you know, he's missing out on that dad component and he's got to spend his whole most crucial formative childhood years without this, the, the mentoring and guidance of his father. And so I looked into, well, what do we provide for kids of our fallen? So I could find initial grief counseling. And then um, I could find a little bit of, you know, some short things like there's some summer camps available or uh, a trip to Disney for four or five days. But um, really, it was just a wide open, their whole childhood, the most crucial formative years again, um, without much of any support. And what I thought was, well, let's make sure that they're not spending their after school time, their idle time becoming withdrawn and depressed or running with the wrong crowd and making bad decisions because today it's much easier to fall off the tracks and not be able to recover than it was when I was a kid. And so we thought, well, you know, what's, what's been helpful to kids, even in the best of circumstances, still, you know, being on a, on a team or pursuing guitar or whatever, sports, music, arts, something with a coach or an instructor that, you know, the kids put their time into something that they're investing in practice in themselves and they're gaining from that. And then they've got the mentoring and guidance of a coach or an instructor. So I thought, well, I believe I found a gap in what we're providing for kids of our fallen. And I think I know something that would be impactful. So if I found it, I guess I'm the guy that's supposed to fill it. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start this nonprofit. And I had gotten some numbers before I retired. You know, I was leaning into, well, what am I going to do next? And um, it, it was, I was at my son's soccer games and they were, they're a year and a half apart. They were on both on different teams and they both won the championships that day. And both of the kids, you know, had like really good games. And afterwards we went to, went to Dairy Queen and I was sitting there and thinking, ah, you know, I just saw how much pride and self-confidence my kids have through their participation in this, you know, that, that's what I want to be able to provide. So that, that's how the idea was born. And we formed Angels of America's Fallen in 2012, started helping some, some local kids as I was waiting on the IRS for the 501c3 and, and was really, that was a powerful thing for me because I had lost friends, but I had never really spoken and interacted with a family I didn't know mm-hmm. and talked to them about their, about their loss and what can I do to help and that kind of thing. And to hear, to have the conversation with somebody later after the dust had settled after, you know, everything had stopped as far as support goes. And now that's when the reality of, Oh, I'm in this alone, you know, really hits the mom. Uh, and I say, mom, there, we have a couple of dads in our program that lost their wives, but the, the majority are moms who've lost their husband. So yeah, we, we started this and, and the idea was that these kids are all over the place and frequently, especially the military families, they tend to move a couple of times trying to find a place that feels like home. Because if you do the default, go back to where the mom's from, you know, when you go back to your hometown, a lot of times you realize that it's changed a lot. It doesn't feel the same. And if it's not near a military community, you may have nobody that understands what you're going through at all. Mm-hmm. You also have uh, an issue where sometimes if the system works and they get the insurance and they get the dependents indemnity compensation, you know, sometimes family members see that like they just won the lottery and people come out of the woodworks trying to get a, a slice of the money. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, a lot of issues for that. But what we looked at was, you know, if we cover the cost of these activities that already exist in their communities, we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not creating these things. We're just enabling and empowering the kids to do what's already in their community. And if they happen to be from, I don't know, Samoa or whatever, and outrigger canoeing is, is what's the big thing there. Well, then we can support that there and cover their lessons or cover their supplies. 
And more so than just writing the check, really, this needs to be a relationship thing. This needs to be an encouragement. This needs to be a long-term thing. If we if we find a child, and obviously in most cases, the breadwinner is the one that's passed. Mm-hmm. So that family's never going to recover from the financial loss. The insurance certainly doesn't last that long. And uh, what they receive from the government, if, if everything works right, is not a lot more than the poverty level on a monthly basis. So if we encourage them to find a passion and get them in it, and then we say, well, good luck reapply next year, and they don't get selected, then they've just lost another important part of their life, a part yeah, of themselves. They, they start now. getting some hope and they start feeling some momentum and then the rugs pulled out from under them again. Yeah. Yeah. So what we decided was then we've got to commit and it's got to be once they're enrolled, we're with them all the way through 18 without them having to reapply. Um, that's what keeps me up at night actually, is that I've made this long-term commitment to a bunch of kids and I can only honor it if out of the goodness of their hearts, people donate. So it's kind of out of my control to, to manage that to some degree. Um, you know, that's, uh, that's just a reality thing. It's a different, it's a different model for a nonprofit to do that versus giving out whatever you brought in that year. And if you brought in less, you just give out less. Well, mm-hmm. that's a failure for us. How close are you in Colorado to Columbine? Uh, about an hour South. I heard an amazing, so I was maybe like a year ago, I dove into a t- an idea called heart centered leadership. And it's essentially kind of like how Southwest airlines runs their business. They kind of focus mm-hmm. on the people kind of methodology. Mm-hmm but they call it heart-centered leadership or leading with your heart. And he was telling stories. It was about uh, uh, the it was stories of how to travel at 13 inches from your head to your heart. And one of them, which I never knew, and is probably the most unpublicized story that needs to be told, the principal of Columbine High School after that massacre happened in the 90s, he committed his the next uh, 20 years to ensure that every kid that was in the school system when that happened got through. Mm. And so he didn't quit. And I think, I think he wouldn't even pass the kindergartners that were involved, but he essentially created a culture in that school of no child left behind. They actually did, they do these links exercises when the school starts that without this chain being connected, we are no longer a solid chain. And so it's more about like leave no kid behind in school. And he completely transformed the culture at Columbine from what that tragedy, but he committed to make sure every kid got through kind of like you, you're committing without really any knowing where it's going to go to make sure every <laughs> yeah. kid gets through. And it just reminded me of this story about Columbine and his commitment to uh, completely revolutionize of how that culture happened that create the massive. But again, it's like that was massive pain and he was able to grow a beautiful flower from it. Yeah. You know, that's one of the things we honor the loss and the sacrifice and it's a part of the child's story. It, it can't be removed and, and to do so would, would be dishonoring their parent as well. Yep. So, so we do that. We honor that, but we focus on positives and possibilities. That's something I say all the time is that we honor the loss and sacrifice, but focus on positives and possibilities. So yeah, there, there is, I think there's a greater power in over, overcoming evil with good than there is in avoiding evil, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and you can't avoid it anyway. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's going to be always be there. You just always have to believe in the good and continue to to work through the pain because the pain may seem like evil, but that's actually the vehicle to to create uh, good in the world. And you're you're going through a big pile of someone's pain, emotions, and life, and trying to come out on the other side with something beautiful. And when I first met you, you had some stories of those kids on the table. Those were just touching. Of like you're talking about continuing the legacy past the dad and making sure that there's always someone there kind of looking over them and making sure that, that they do their legacy continues 
to live on. There's an idea that I, I, I think it was after we met that I put together that a lot of dads get caught up on the questions, why did I live and others died? And so you're on the other side, but then there's other dads that are present or not present, but they are home. They made it back. Their kids are right there. And this is something your dad recognized that I've really woken up to the idea that when you think of it as your legacy, you really need that. Is, you need to create a defining moment. If you lost someone overseas and we all lost someone because they're all brothers and sisters that are no longer coming home, that there's a child out there that no longer feels their father's love. And there's a father that no longer gets to feel their children's love. And it's up to us that are still back here that are living life that can feel that love to create the best freaking life that you can imagine and to create a life worthy of the sacrifice that those dads give us. And that's kind of what you're doing. You're turning it around and, and going back and filling in the gaps and you have an amazing life and amazing kids. And you're now going back to make sure that other kids don't get left behind a little bit. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a part of my thought process was that I am extremely fortunate. I'm blessed to be here with my sons and, and there are others that didn't get that opportunity. And then from my kid's perspective, you know, um, I, I am trying to be that positive piece. And when the, the other guys don't have that opportunity. So, so yeah, I, I believe that as a nation, we really owe it to these kids to, to do that because they, they lost their parent in service to our country and our, and our communities. Right. So, um, I certainly, I, I can't imagine anybody wouldn't agree that these kids deserve to have as good of a life, not, not a spoiled life, right? I'm, no, I'm certainly yeah. not talking about that, but they, they deserve to have the same opportunities and the same outlets that, uh, that they would have had if their dad would have been there, at least as, you know, if they and don't have the ability to get in sports, you know, or pursue something, then we should, we should enable that. And if it was the dad that died, the mom is most likely the heart isn't necessarily wired to, in that moment to continue loving in the way that it used to. You're also a conduit to remind those kids that they are loved. Oh yeah. You know, that a big piece of this, especially if mom or dad was killed by a bad guy is that the world isn't full of bad guys, you know, and we make it very clear to them. I send, I send them all a letter when they first are enrolled and talk about this. We're not doing this just because we feel sorry because your mom or dad died. Um, we do this because we care about you and there are good people that care about you that are donating so you can enjoy, you know, your passion and something healthy. So uh, that's an important, very important piece. I don't know how much you watch Netflix, but have you ever heard of the Netflix movie, The Christmas Chronicles? It came out I'm last not. year as a Netflix original. You'd like it because in it, the, the son's dad dies in a fire. He's a firefighter and he dies trying mm -hmm. to save someone. And the son becomes kind of a, a troublemaker. He gets in a bunch of trouble. And without ru ruining the movie, they involve Santa and they kind of almost mess up Christmas. But in order to save Christmas, his dad gave him a knife. And on it, it says, a Pierce always sees it through. And he kept holding this knife, the son, throughout the movie. It's kind of just this thing he kept feeling sad about and just missing his dad and angry that his dad died for people that didn't even know him. And then they're mm -hmm. the ones left without him. And Santa gifts him the idea at the very end to save Christmas that he had everything inside himself to believe that he needed to save Christmas. And he steps in and saves Christmas just by kind of remembering that a Pierce always sees it through. And hmm. it's something that I realized in December, like as a, I did a blog post on it, like, and that's what you're gifting in this idea as well. You're gifting the belief that they have everything inside already. And as military dads, that's what you've already done with your kids. You've, we need to make sure our kids have the gift of believing that everything they need to feel loved and successful in life is already inside them, that it, there's no external factor needed. And that's what Santa did in that movie. And, um, and that's what I've been kind of 
preaching a little bit more about that. That's the best thing we can do for our kids is give them the belief. And after they're gone, dad's gone, you give them that gift with that confidence in that program because they'll learn that they have the things inside them already without dad to be able to become successful. And that belief is what you can be the difference between someone that ends up on the streets and someone that ends up in a coffin from a drug addict, drug overdose, or someone goes out and changes the world. Yeah, I think it can. You know, you mentioned something too about the mom's heart not being able to love like it what like it could before. Um, also there's some other issues that happen with it when the child is all they've got left, especially if it's, if it's one child and that's all they've got left of their family. It's all they've got left of their husband. You know, a part of their husband is in their child kind of thing. And so some of them are extremely fearful of letting them out of their sight, you know, and letting them do things. And so getting the kids engaged in the activities, actually it's, I've had that discussion with a couple of the moms that it's a very healing thing for them as well. And part of this is they vet where their kids are going to go. So when it's not like we say, okay, we can provide your, your kids soccer at this place. What we do is we, we talk to the mom and have them speak with the kid and find out what the child might want to do. And sometimes they haven't had the conversation because they don't have the means or mom's still been treading water. Mm-hmm. And then when they do that and the, the, the kid picks something, then the mom vets where they can get back and forth to in town, which place, which piano instructor or you know soccer league or whatever they want the child to do. So then we get the information and contact the activity provider and make the payment directly to them. So there's no barrier. We try to make this very easy on a busy single parent because if they can't process it, the child loses. So, yeah. um, so we kind of try to take a burden off of them and, and do this and get them into the thing. But it's a place that the mom has picked to be safe, you know, that, that they feel comfortable with their child going to. And they know where they are for a certain amount of time. It allows them to go and do errands and those kinds of things. Um, but there's a part of loving without smothering, you know, mm-hmm. that's an important piece too. So we've, we've kind of seen that uh, some of our families go through that. There's all kinds of angles to this that I had no idea to expect when we started this, that, uh, that we've really, really seen. And, and one of the coolest things is because we make that long-term commitment and it's not just a, we're not a write check writing service. This is a follow-up and see how they're doing. In fact, we even tell the moms, you know, there will be a time especially with the ones with the little kids, they don't know it yet, but there'll be a time when the kids don't want to hear from mom (laughs) and, you know, they may be depressed and withdrawn and they don't want to go to school and they don't want to talk to mom, but if they love soccer, they want to go to soccer practice and it gets them moving. So, you know, inertia and just getting out of the house and getting, getting involved in something is an important piece of it. And that when it comes time that the child doesn't want to hear something and let's say they are in soccer, but now soccer season's over and they're just laying around and, on a downward spiral, then, um, they can use us instead of mom nagging. Hey, why don't you get out and do something? It's like, no, Hey, angels is calling and Shelly wants to know what are you going to do next? You know, what are you going to do between now and next soccer season? And we tell mm-hmm. them flat out, use us as a prod if needed to, uh, you know, tough love a little bit, but it's about, Hey, you know, you need to get out and do something. We want to see you in, in something. And I like what you said there because I've often, I'm an emotional person. And so when I feel overwhelmed and just standing still, my mind just builds this fog around me ahead and I can't actually see any which way. And I just feel lost. I feel alone. And the craziest thing happens is when you start moving towards any direction, it doesn't really matter. The fog starts to lift like it's magic. And that's what you're talking about. You're just getting them moving and then somehow motion creates clarity, but just standing still the world just feels so empty and alone, especially when you have a scar in your heart that continues to feel pain almost every time it beats. 
Like that's going to be there as a reminder every time. So having these tools taught to them early on of how to work through this is, um, I mean, I've, I've had, uh, there's stories that I've heard that the kid's dad killed himself at like 10 and he's 35 and he's like, I'm still dealing with it. So like oh, yeah. the scar never really goes away. They really have no. to work through that pain and you're giving them the best vehicle, which everybody knows fitness and all this stuff. That's the best way to change your chemistry quickly, mentally, even just to get your brain producing different uh, emotions and dopamine. I mean, that's, you're, you're, you're almost kind of like biohacking them for success and to a future that they don't even really realize is there yet. You know, that's, that's a big thing. We think about that and talk about that sometimes that that hole is always going to be there for the rest of their life. They're going to have a hole that only dad could fill. Right. Mm -hmm. But they can deal with it. They're better equipped to deal with it as adults than they are as kids. So these are the crucial years, you know, let's, let's not wait until that. That was one of the things about the scholarships. That's a fantastic thing. And it all works together. But I really feel um, that it's a, it's an important piece to help them and equip them with some skills and distractions. You know, this isn't a grief based thing. This is about positives and then developing who they are. And it is an identity level thing. It's not, they're not just the kid mm -hmm. of a fallen hero. And sometimes that's a huge thing to live under the shadow of that, right? Or unfortunately, in some other cases, there was a real negative spiral before dad committed suicide. And that's got its own set of issues. And, and some of these suicides are in front of the kids or in the home. So um, so there's there can be a lot of baggage and and a lot of reminders. You know, you, you talked about, I don't know the wording that you were just using, but basically the uh, there are a lot of triggers that, mm -hmm. that will remind them of this. Everything from birthdays, anniversaries, seeing another, you know, parent, uh, you know, father and son doing something together, seeing a video of a guy coming home and surprising his kids, all these kinds of things. What we've learned is that the kids don't just get a new normal. The dust doesn't settle and there's a new normal and things are okay. They continue to revisit the loss throughout their whole childhood at different levels of maturity as it impacts them differently. So, mm -hmm. you know, like a three-year-old doesn't understand that death is permanent, but around five, it hits them in a whole different, harder level and so on and so on throughout their whole childhood. And a lot of times with the girls, we'll see around 16 or so. A lot of them have a really tough time as they, they think more about graduating high school and, uh, um, and then dad's not going to be there to see them do that or see them walk down the aisle or walk them down the aisle at their wedding and so on. And so there's, there's dips that occur. So it's not, Hey, everybody's going to be happy afterwards. It's no, we need to be committed to stick with them throughout these tough times and celebrate their good times. Right. Yep. which is one of the other awesome things about this is because it is a connection model. You know, even the distant kids, the local ones, I've been to a lot of their performances and different things. So I see it very directly, but our distant ones, you know, they send us updates and videos and, and pictures and things. And so we see when a little girl is the whole gymnastic meet champion and, and stuff like that, or, you know, you don't have to be a champion to have done well with this, right? It's not about the, Hey, you got a soccer scholarship because you played soccer. It's, you pursued something and you grew within that. So, you know, if we get a video of a little bit of ukulele lessons right at the beginning and then later they're whole, a whole lot better, you know, we get to see that growth. It's kind of cool. It's like having a bunch of grandkids almost. Yeah. And there is uh, a lot to unpack there, but as you were uh, talking about the sports, it kind of hit me that the one thing that you're also equipping with all of these events have one thing in common. There is someone that's leading these kids and yes. generally they're a male person. I mean, they could be a female, but there's still some other figure that kind of shepherd them through. And that's what a lot of like coaches are a lot of times is a father in a lot of cases. And you're still giving them some influence to be able to, to carry on through their life. Yeah, that's an important part of it. In fact, that's one of the things when we, what do we say yes to? 
you know, we want to be flexible and say yes to the child's passion. So as long as it's healthy and it's got a coach or an instructor component, you know, we want to say yes to that. So we've done baking lessons and, you know, horseback riding and all, all kinds of different things. But, but yeah, there is that other component and it's an additional potential mentor. We can't guarantee that they're going to become that connected, yeah. but we do provide the coach or instructor uh, with some guidance that was developed by some counselors and some of our widows. It's just some basic do's and don'ts. Really the biggest thing though, is just be a good coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that has its own set of values. Another really interesting thing is that it's a normal transition when you move from one league to another or whatever that you, that you and the other kids your age move away from that coach. And so there's a natural transition as opposed to another loss. Mm-hmm. That's a big thing. You know, so um, what, our, what we have seen is our families don't really want multiple strangers or new people coming into their life that are leaving. And so when they have this activity and they have that coach or instructor and they might bond with them, then if they move on past that, it's not as harsh because it's a natural part of all these types of activities. Mm-hmm. And I learned something because I interviewed uh, Sarah Roberts on episode 34 and she's the widow of a, a Marine who took his own life. And she really gave me this gift of understanding that when someone, a dad takes their life or a mom, that anytime you're suicide involved, you think you're ending the pain, but really all you're doing is taking everything you feel inside and just passing it on that. You're giving them a burden that they one don't understand because they didn't understand the world that you lived in, but now they have to carry something on their heart that they're not prepared for. They don't understand. And they're always going to feel like they're missing something. Yep, definitely. And it just continues to pass it on. And it's the opposite of legacy. It's giving someone it's, it's making someone's shoulders feel heavy for the rest of their life, even by a few pounds, whatever it is. They have to carry that load extra. And while in some cases, the probably one part that it's maybe slightly positive towards it is the more pain you can walk through generally as a human being and through this positively, you can get them through this pain. They'll generally do something even stronger on the other side, like Oprah Winfrey's story of becoming a billionaire. She came from nothing in Missouri. Mm-hmm. And Tony Robbins is another simple example that all those people have horrible stories of how they started their life. And now they're at the other side. And so if you, you're giving them that yellow brick road to get through this, but then take that pain and create something beautiful from it. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen that's been really cool, we actually, we call it our voices program and it's for, for moms and kids that want to tell their story to help us help more kids. There's healing and talking about the story and, and honoring their loved one by doing so. Um, But healing and helping, you know, that is a big thing. And we actually had a little girl, this was, Last year, I guess, uh, we were the charity for the Military Comptrollers Association in Denver, and there were 4,000 attendees. And this little girl, and she went, her and her brother and her mom and I were there, and we were going to address the crowd and thank them at lunch, the the mom and I were. And um, I think she was 10 at the time, and she said, you know, I'd like to say something too. So, okay, absolutely, come on up. And she got to the microphone, 4,000 people, you know, in public public speaking is like one of the greatest fears for so many people. Yeah. People she fear got public there. speaking over dying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So she got up there and she started talking and, and, um, it was really neat. Cause she said, you know, I'm not even nervous and everybody clapped for, her and she got, she got emotional and, and she pulled it back in. And it was such a sincere thank you. And you could see her standing up taller as she was doing this. And then afterwards, everybody was coming up to her and wanting to take pictures with her or, or talk to her. The undersecretary of defense for, international affairs was there and she came up and gave her a challenge coin and told her if she ever needs a job in the government or wants one that, you know, to contact her. And, uh, man, it just, it was a big transformation thing. But the most powerful thing for me was that that was actually the anniversary of her dad's suicide. 
And on that day, she opened herself up and believe, you know, they open their wounds when, when they do this. And she did that to help us help others. And it's so powerful. That's the secret that most military dads completely overlook. And most human beings overlook this part in 2020 of the power of vulnerability that it's this, this, it's this hidden secret that people think showing vulnerability and even as leadership and business, people think, Oh, I can't be vulnerable. I can't really say how I'm feeling. Um, or I can't project that I don't have it all together, especially with like Instagram and perfect lives on Facebook. But man, when you share a raw story and be vulnerable, instead of people walking away, you actually, just what you just talked about, they actually come towards you. Oh, yeah. And I describe it as the world is waiting for people to go first because there's a lot of pain that people aren't feeling. But man, when someone goes first, there is just a shock wave of pain and permission that people get to feel and just instantly start crying. I've told uh, situations at uh, conferences of not growing up with friends and not having friends for my adult life. And afterwards, a dad came up to me and was already in tears before he got to me. Like I just telling a simple story about not having friends brought a dad to a tears because I said words of feelings that he didn't know how to describe. Uh huh. Yeah. And that's what you're, that's what those voices are doing. There, there's so emotions can be so hard, especially if you're not used to feeling them or labeling them. And the moment you hear someone share a story that's even ten percent similar. You just instantly resonate and you just feel a weight lifted because your brain feels what it was unable to feel for so long. You just hit on something that I hadn't really thought about, but it's important and I'm glad. I I think it'll be helpful for me and the organization going forward is that that vulnerability piece that it draws people in because if she had not gotten up there and spoken and she was instead standing by the table, nobody would have approached her because it's uncomfortable and because Mm -hmm. it's you know, it's, it's a sad thing. So it's easier to avoid than it is to engage. But when she opened herself up, that connected with them at a different level. You know, sometimes it's hard, it's harder for us to get attention or to stand out on Facebook, for example, because if it was a page about puppies, you get a whole lot more clicks and likes and so on, but it's a little bit tough. It's a tough subject, you know, and who wants to think about the the kids and how they're missing their loved one and how they're going to have to go through Christmas without them and those kinds of things. And so um, I think people look away or they may not uh, commit as much time to understand what's going on or what we're doing that's different. But it is the vulnerability piece that certainly when, and and I've seen that, that when I'm speaking to somebody um, that when they hear a story, the body language changes, they lean in, you know, versus here's our mission, here's what we do. Mm -hmm. But it's the story, it's the connection. And the connection is through the loss because everybody's had some loss, maybe not their parent, but, um, but they get it. And, and I think most people are compassionate and want to do something, but they're also going to avoid anything that's uncomfortable. And, P- and courage isn't something that's uh, a virtue that's practiced a lot. So when people show courage, it, it becomes a magnet of polarity for people to just to come towards it because it's, it's rare. And when people do it, especially when, with a story like that, it's beautiful. And it's just a good example of how pain spoken properly and your story told like i mean having your husband kill himself can be the it's wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy but at the same time when you're on the other side of that there's only one thing you can do with it is try to bring something beautiful from that pain and try to help someone else through that pain of even with every podcast episode the goal of every podcast is for a dad to share something vulnerable and as long as they share something vulnerable because there's a dad out there that has an echo chamber 
of thoughts that he's not saying. He's not speaking yeah. with them in words. So they become fact. And those facts become truths. And those truths convince them that he's better, this family is better without them. And it only takes one vulnerable thought, even if it's not that vulnerable. It just takes one thought that makes whatever he's hearing in his head sound crazy. And that can trigger him to take that step and be like, well, that was a crazy, stupid thought because this guy <laughs> over here had it. And my brain was telling me I was the only one feeling this way. Yeah. And especially with like wives that lose this stuff, when you share it, that all of those feelings of lonely cancel out. And you're like, my brain was wrong. There are people that are walking the same thing and we can find community and love and just connection and, and then feel connected again. Like it doesn't, you just need to grow through that pain on the other side through love. I love it. You know, we had a story, um, it, and this was one of the things that it, this really tore me up. And, um, we had an air force family, uh, air force master sergeant, and he was killed in a parachute training accident after multiple combat deployments as in special operations. And he had six kids and they were on our waiting list. And when we called, my wife called to say, Hey, we can, you know, get your six kids in activities now, which is always a positive call. The mom said, I only have five now. My two-year-old Lila just drowned and it absolutely crushed us. Um, and what we had done, the first kids we ever supported, the three sons of the first chaplain to pass in combat since Vietnam, we did swimming lessons for them. In fact, this was the first family. It was while we were not a 501c3 and I just paid for it because I just had to get this going. But the youngest one was so little, we did mommy and me swim classes. And so anytime we had really young kids, we would always say, hey, let's get them in mommy and me swim classes. That's something they could do. And it didn't happen for Lila and I couldn't fix it. And it was, you know, it, it was a failure to grow the organization quick enough to get them off the waiting list quick enough. And I couldn't do anything about it. It was 13 months from when dad died until Lila drowned. And now you've got this single mom going through that loss, that condensed, that close together and everything had to go wrong for this to happen. They had the gate, you know, um, to protect the pool and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and it happened. And in addition to that, her, one of her brothers was murdered and her other brother committed suicide. And there she is going through all this together. And I called her and said, you know, I don't have the budget for this. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I want to try to convince swimming centers to just give, you know, kids of our fallen basic life safety swimming lessons. And I'd like to name this initiative after Lila. And it was powerful for her. And she talked about how they blow bubbles. Um, you know, and bubbles don't last long, you know, but you still do it because it's so cool in the, in that mm. little bit of time that you get them. And so, um, she talked about that and, and she came up with the name lessons from Lila. And so we did it. We, we started that program and we contacted all the kids we supported and said, you know, no matter what your thing is, stay in that. But if you don't know how to swim, let's get you in swimming lessons. And then we called all the kids on our waiting list and told them the same thing and went through this process. And now we've gotten several hundred kids swimming lessons, even though we couldn't make the long commitment to them and get them in something. And the powerful piece though, is that this mom completed a doctorate in clinical psychology and is now a grief expert that speaks and helps others heal. Mm -hmm. And so again, you know, the power, the power of making something good come from the loss and, and using that. And, you know, the experiences that mom went through enable her to connect and help other people that are going through their own grief. And I think that for military families, um, you know, military dads and, and those with PTSD, they've got that piece too. Again, yep. you know, it, it's a difficult thing because they're in a very dark place, but if they can see the light and be the light for somebody else, that's incredibly healing and powerful for them as well as the other people they interact with. 
Yeah, and that's the the nut that I try to crack in every episode of just getting military dads to recognize of how much they leave on the table by just assuming they don't have the power to actually change their life within themselves already. Like it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the variable uh, chicken or the egg. The dad's kind of coming out, and you got to either wake him up or you got to hopefully get him before they fall asleep. And it's I love what the lesson from Lila. I remember hearing the story at uh, MIC. And I mean, think of that legacy as uh, there's a massive tragedy and that family could have been one that was in the newspaper for completely falling apart and ending up in the prison system. But the exact opposite, there's an example of losing their sister that they have, the older kids have, of mm-hmm. that memory, knowing that she's saving lives, that, well, death happened. It makes it easier to understand that that death now serves a purpose and actually enables yes. other kids to never happen before. And I think that's what every person that has somehow connection to suicide they all have kind of a not a responsibility but they have a story that could literally transform lives and save them and it's something that i think like the movement of 22 doesn't do enough is you can't really just save 22 people to stop the 22 veterans killing themselves by making people aware of it you really need to find all 22 have something wrong with them and it's one thing when i started this podcast i i feel for the all 22, but I'm only focusing on one, the military dad. And it's my focus to go a mile deep instead of two inch deep, 22 times yeah. wide. And all <laughs> yeah. of these stories have the ability to save the 22, but people that are on the other side of this pain, they need to speak. They need to go find people that are in that darkness. And there's a Ted talk from a friend, Andy Wines that I uh, watched this fall. And he tells it like there's veterans standing in a pit and other veterans need to jump inside that pit with that veteran. And be like, we're in here together. I'm not sure how the hell we're going to get out, but we're going to figure it out together and we're going to get out. Like that's Absolutely. kind of mindset that you need when you're a veteran and for any of this stuff that people are in pits, jump in there with them, figure out how to get them out. And if you have any similarity connection with them, that's how you're going to do it. You'll, you'll find a way together. Mm-hmm. So a couple yeah, so, random questions. How many, okay. I mean, how, how many um, kids are on backlog right now? Over 500. Over, Over 500. 500 kids. Yes. And how long does the average waiting period take to get through that 500? That's the whole thing. So uh, a long time because, because we make the long-term commitment to the kids, that means that we've got to be very careful when we bring one off the waiting list. On average, it's an 11 year commitment that we're making. So projecting how much we have in reserve and balancing that with knowing that these kids are at risk. So we don't want to wait and build up a war chest before we call the next one, you know, build too much. So, so it's a difficult balance. Um, it varies. So like, for example, we, we moved probably 30, maybe 40 kids off the waiting list last year. We'll do a little bit more this year because we're actually going to grow some. But um, it, it's just a, it's a difficult thing because I, I'm not it's hard to project donations because I'm not selling a product anybody needs. This is all just based on the goodness of people's hearts. And unfortunately, I didn't know anybody with means, you know, we didn't have a sugar daddy or, or anything like that when I started this. So it's been very grassroots. That's, I appreciate this podcast uh, opportunity because it will raise awareness for that piece. But like you mentioned, raising awareness doesn't solve the problem. It's action. And you know, action so, is uh, inspired by vulnerability. If, you, if people need to go second to actually share their story or feel a connection to it, you and I have gone first. Other people have gone first. But those voices, I think, are so critical because that's just the magnet for, for compassion. And in your particular case, compassion will follow money. And the, 
I can't help but think that sometime in my future that I'll be able to write a big check and support a whole bunch of kids. I have a question. Out of 500 kids, how much money would it take to make all of those kids funded? What's that type of number? That's a great question. It's about 16 and a, we had, we're looking at $16,500 for a kid for 11 years, basically. So that times 500 is... Eight million two hundred fifty thousand. Someone, a lot. <laughs> someone out there listening needs to write an eight million dollar check to Angels of America's Fallen so that we can get all five hundred. Like that would just be the cat's ass for twenty twenty. Yeah. And believe you know, believe, and that would get them all the way through. I mean, you know, yeah. I'm not talking about get them in next year. We we budget fifteen hundred dollars per child per year, and we have built pretty good relationships with the activity providers. In most cases, they will give us a discount, or some will flat out sponsor the child, which helps us help more kids. Mm-hmm. And they'll sponsor them through the life or just at this particular event and maybe you would have to repay it again at the next thing they change. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Generally, it's a sponsorship for this year or the season. And so next year, it's still up for grabs. What's the single the largest keeps, donation you've had? Uh, $75,000. And that was it was a, a foundation, actually, Chick-fil-A. We were the Chick-fil-A True Inspiration Award winner. And it was a $75,000 check and go to the Chick-fil-A headquarters for their founder's day thing. And um, that was really powerful. And that came down to, we were nominated by a Chick-fil-A operator and people voted for us through their app. And we won, they didn't have a national winner. They had just different regions, but we won for the Western region. And so that that's our largest single one. Assuming me and you were both in selling business doing the same stuff. I can almost see like this podcast being a little bit like Tony Robbins's model where he charges a lot of money to help people at his events, but he also feeds <laughs> millions of people worldwide with food based on that profit. So I could easily see that at some point, we this business becomes a point where as you fuel this business or as people buy products from this business, that that then fuels nonprofits to help dads that didn't come home then gift the kids of being able to live a th- fulfilling life still. Like I can, yes. that's like a full circle for me. I can already visualize and I can feel it in my heart and feel it in my bones. And, uh, the first check, I will definitely be, uh, giddy about when I've been able to write my first uh, check. Yeah. And, and it's building momentum too. It's something I, I hoped it would grow faster, but the reality is these things, they, they take time unless you have some magic connection or, or something happens and that might happen tomorrow. I don't know. Somebody, somebody listening to this podcast might have the ability to make a significant change, but Actually, they, they do because a little bit at this level still makes a significant difference to us. You know, so, um, you know, I, I don't, it'd be great if somebody could donate eight and a half million dollars or whatever, but uh, anything helps, especially if it's a little bit monthly, because that's how that helps me stabilize my revenue and know how to project, okay, we've got this much coming in monthly, we can count on this. And so then we can, we can project that into when we can bring the next child off the waiting list. You know, there's a uh, Christian radio station that I, live, I listen to, and they have four fundraisers a year on the radio because they're funded by listeners. And they have what they call Club 360, where it's uh, $30 times 12, and they set it up on a payment. And then, then they just like they keep promoting, like, if we get five people signing up for Club 360, mm-hmm. then you're supporting $30 a month, and everybody can kind of afford $30 a month. And that's yeah. $1,200 a year. And that just that helps you just paid for one year's uh, subscription with that. So I don't know if you like the name club 360, but that could be something marketing wise. You start getting your marketing, new marketing person on. Yeah, that's absolutely it. We need to have more individual donors, more individual monthly donors as that stable base. And that is certainly one of our areas that we're looking to improve in this year. Because instead of the the one person donating that person that continue the funnel, that's the, the, 
the best way. Cause then at least you can actually count that in the books and. Yeah. It, it's the backbone, you know, and, and one of the things too, if the economy tanks, then the bigger businesses and the foundations, you know, they won't be giving out as much. Whereas somebody that can give $30 a month or $5 a month, they probably won't cancel that. And, you know, if they lose their job, they may have to, but if things just get a little bit tighter, they can probably still, you can, you know, skip Starbucks once and you can make that happen. So, um, so there's a lot of stability that comes from small individual donations versus, you know, if you live on the big grants, you might die by the big grants as well. Mm -hmm. And like, I can only attest like the magic of the universe because I almost didn't stop by your booth, but I pre-stalked your booth while you weren't there that one night. And so I was like, oh, I better stop back for these guys. And so I starved some fear and said hello. We had probably an hour conversation that I instantly connected with your brand. I'm like, man, what are the odds of trying to find someone that's like completely in the same circle as me? Mm-hmm. We had a conversation now. And my entire mindset of networking is I'm always one conversation away from something amazing. So like we yeah. really have no idea what could happen tomorrow because one person listening to this could completely change the world in, or they know someone that can change the world or yes. I mean, even if I, well, I think I'm up to like 1200 Facebook friends, if every 1200 Facebook friends donated $10, that would blow your mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would. Absolutely. Like the power of the small little thing is something that people often forget now because everything is so big, but at the same time, a small little change or even something as simple as a hello to people's can be the same thing that changes someone's world as much as $10 to you every month. Could oh, completely yeah. change yours, yeah. And it's the lives of someone child out there that you'll never get to meet. And it's like those Christian um, shows trying to get you to send money for kids in uh, Africa and uh, low income places. Like you get these right. cards of people in the mail that you're helping and different things. Like this is in the same category, except these are the kids that we all support and we all talk about saving veterans. Well, this is at a different level and it's an entirely different. It's like creating the next legacy of people that go out in the world to change it. Like it's an entirely different flavor of just supporting veterans in my opinion. It, it is. And these kids are awesome too. You know, one of the things we have an angel gala, it's, it's actually was started by one of our widows who wanted to, again, help us help more kids. And she had the background to put on events like that. And we're going to have our fifth one this February, February 15th. But um, last year, that mother that I talked about, Alyssa, that, that lost her daughter, Lila, she was our keynote speaker. And after she spoke, four of her five kids got up there and performed in the activities we've been supporting them in. The two boys did guitar. Guitar was one of the things their dad did. So it's a connection to him. Um, they played individually and sang. And then uh, the little girl did dance and the other boy did um, jujitsu and threw his brother, brother around on the floor. But it's so amazing because they were doing well and they were showing the impact the program has on them. It, so it's a confidence booster and builder for them. And it was a way that the donors and supporters could see the direct impact they were having. But um, in my mind, they were kind of changing the world because that guitar performance, when, when one of them had written his own song and he sang and performed his own song and it moved people, you know, it's powerful stuff. And then the, the one doing jujitsu, you know, his mom was kind of nervous. She said, I don't know how this is going to go because he won't practice or he won't tell me what his plan is. And so we gave him a microphone so he could describe the different moves that he was going to do. And, and one of them, he said he was going to do a, a rear naked choke hold. And then he laughed because he said naked in front of the audience. And that got everybody, you know, everybody connects with things like that. So there's, there's power in just doing your thing, whatever that might be. And so for somebody out there listening, their thing might not be that they've got the money, but they might know somebody that does, or they might be in a location where they could do a small fundraiser or, or whatever. 
but yeah, there, there's big and little. I say that sometimes because even if we became a huge organization, and I hope we do, I, th- I think the mission absolutely deserves it. But if we became a big budget organization, I still think that there's so much power in the small donor, the small event, that that should always be a piece of our pie. Um, and because it's connecting, it's connecting with people more so than some one person writes a big check or and big giving company. the child a, a sense of purpose and identity and love. Like to me, that that's more important than the donation itself. Like knowing that what they did, the little sacrifice that they did by going to these uh, events that you were paying for, like giving them the the reconfidence boost that this all mattered. Like that's just yeah. as uh, game changing. You actually inspired something there when you were talking about. Have you ever seen the movie? I can only imagine. Yes. Oh, that movie is yeah. talking about song and like finding yeah. your pain and tapping into that pain and creating something beautiful. Like it, I love that. That's I would bawled my freaking eyes out in that movie. And that was moving. Yeah. And at the end, it, it like it really hit me that like if you think I didn't really know it at the time, but Amazing Grace was written by a slave on a slave ship in yeah. the worst conditions, and that yeah. song is revered and remembered for centuries later. Think of what beauty can come from this pain that people feel like if they really get the vehicle and the people believing them to make something grow from it. Man, it could, it could, it just gives me goosebumps thinking about it. Like it could explode just like the song I Can Only Imagine It and allowed people to feel feelings that only he could give them the gift of permission to feel them. Mm-hmm. It was very powerful. And that movie, you know, interesting, it, you know, it showed the connection with his father and the gap. And that and the gap was healed even after all the ugliness. And that's yeah. another thing I think that we've kind of been trying to talk about a bit is that, um, you know, the, the dad had really blown it in a lot of ways. And he came around and, you know, some of that pain and passion is what his son turned that song into. And uh, and if it know, wasn't for being, his dad being a dick, he wouldn't have had the song. That's right. Yeah, exactly. So, so then you they, look back and you're like, you find purpose <laughs> even in the worst of tragedy, even in though like whatever the dad not coming home, whether it be suicide or died in battle or whatever, all of these things are going to shape their life and they're going to do things that they would never been able to do without that pain in their heart. So yeah, it's all perspective and that's what you're given that gift of perspective, belief. And I love it. So as we wrap up, because we could talk forever, I feel like what's a parting piece of advice you want to leave dads out there. And I would maybe think about uh, if I could bias your answer, Think about the dad that questions his impact on the family. What is your most common message that you want dads that are still here being dad to make sure that they come home? Oh, wow. I think you're crucial. You're crucial to your kids. You know, it's not, uh, I mean, you, whether you recognize it or not, you've got an awful lot and they're looking for it and they need it from you. You know, there, there, there will be a hole in them if you aren't there for them. And I, and you've mentioned this in some of your things. Um, you know, the biggest thing you can give them is time. Mm-hmm. And so you, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be the best at this. You don't be, have, have to be the most, uh, it doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be a uh, special skill or anything. Just be there and be with them. And they're looking up to you. Yep. I love that. And I've always, even my very first cliches that I used to plug was always kids spell love T I M E. Yes. And that's the what I was of days as a dad, if you remember that one principle, you can create an amazing adult, even if you don't know what you're doing, because all yeah. they really and, want at the end of the day is your time. And the time for giving them the time is now, right now. Yep. Right yeah. now. Not, not tomorrow. The best time to give your kids time wasn't five years ago. It's like right now, this is the only time you yes. get and tomorrow is going to be gone. And something that you could talk to them about the day could completely change their world. And I always find how crazy stupid the simple things are is the stuff they remember too. So it's always, 
Oh yeah. It doesn't have to be hard, <laughs> complicated or expensive to really make yeah. a memory that they right. remember 10 years into the future. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the memories come from the weirdest things. Well, Joe, if people would like to donate, where's the best place that they can go to help support the mission? Yeah. Our website, it's www.aoa fallen for angels of America's fallen.org. And uh, we have some of our family stories on there. There's plenty of information, including, you know, uh, information about the organization. All of our, our audited financials are on there, our tax filings, anything that you could want to know. Or if you've got any additional questions, you know, contact us at, uh, there's a, you know, contact us link on there. But uh, yeah, through the website's the easiest way. Plenty of information if you want to research us. And I recommend people do research us and compare us to other, if you happen to be giving to other nonprofits. Maybe do a little research. There's some great ones and some not so great ones. Um, mm-hmm. We're trying to be one of the great ones. So, um, yeah, that's that's it. Angels of America, uh, sorry, aoafallon.org. Awesome, Joe. Well, I really appreciate you taking this extended time with us today to tell us these stories and to tell your story as well. And I can't wait to keep growing our friendship, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's great speaking with you. You're easy to talk to. That, that stood out at the uh, the conference as well. So. Awesome. You got a, what do you call them? The, uh, you know, your little sayings. And you, I think you said. Colloisms. Yeah. Colloisms. Yeah. You're great with those. Awesome. Yeah. My, my random, uh, I just realized recently that, uh, I have more things to say than I have airtime. So just starting, uh, last Friday, I started now a Friday solo episode where I dump all my colloisms on different short five <laughs> minute, five to 10 minute topics of just something that's on my heart, my mind and getting more out there in the universe. Well, that's fantastic. I'm going to have to get those and I'm going to have my sons listen to those as well. There's a lot of good stuff. We're at 55 episodes and now I've got at least seven solo episodes that I've done. So there's some good stuff out there. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.